Today's show is brought to you by Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. Producing quality content at a high volume is hard, and with newsfeed algorithms constantly shifting and audience platform preferences constantly changing, media companies need to stay agile to be at the top. That's why content production teams at places like Time use Airtable. It's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everything on schedule and let creative people be creative. Visit Airtable.com slash Digiday today to get $50 in free credits. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. Today I am joined by Dan Roth, the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. Dan was formerly a journalist at uh, August Publications like Fortune before going over to LinkedIn about seven years ago. I talked to him about why LinkedIn got into publishing content anyway, um, how it is comfortable with having editors while other platforms run away from the title, and also how LinkedIn fits uh, in the platform ecosystem versus Facebook, Twitter, Medium, and more. Hope you enjoy it. Dan, welcome. Thanks for having me. We actually, we spoke on stage. Um, it was almost like six years ago, I remember. Um, and and now we're, we're, we're back here at a podcast, now that I have a podcast. Um, so you're editor-in-chief at LinkedIn. You spent seven years there. You were at Fortune um, before. What, what does an editor-in-chief at LinkedIn do? It's a great question. Um, an editor or chief of LinkedIn. So let me, before I go into my job, I'll explain why the what content does on LinkedIn, and then I can talk about what I do. Might might make more sense. If you spend time on LinkedIn, you'll see in the news feed all kinds of articles, shares, posts, videos from professionals around the world. And LinkedIn's mission is to connect prof- professionals with opportunity. The idea is you come come every day, you see information about your industry, you share information about what you're doing. You learn what's going on in the world. You start connecting dots. And from the beginning, or excuse me, from about seven years ago when I joined, the thinking at the company, and this was the CEO, uh, Jeff Weiner's idea, was that if you combine um, algorithms with editors, you can create something really special where people are seeing news and information that's not just about their world, but the wider world around them. And mm-hmm. if you're a professional, if you, no matter what you do, it's important to know what else is happening. And so I've got an editorial team. We have about 50 editors around the world. We're in the U.S., um, U.K., India, France, Germany, uh, Japan, China, Australia, Brazil. And the editors do, um, the editor's mission is to give professionals the news and views they need to talk about the things that matter. And we really focus on that idea of the to talk about part. Mm-hmm. So as an editor and that could be LinkedIn, like either yeah. either things published on LinkedIn or published elsewhere but shared on LinkedIn. Exactly. We just want to get professionals talking. So and the the role of an editor at LinkedIn is to act like a amazing talk show host where you have a great subject that you're bringing in and then you are you have someone who's an expert on that subject and then you're finding voices to add to it and to share and to go back and forth to kind of flesh out the mm-hmm. idea. So as an example, an editor might have, we have a daily news budget 
what's happening in the world. And every editor does this in his or her country. And we look at what's happening. And then you start thinking about who do I need to pull in to start talking about this? Or what do I need to write myself? So almost every editor on the team is a business journalist by training. Comes from the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, uh, Le Figaro, all over. And they will either, they can... They can either write their own or produce their own videos, or they can go and find voices to talk about it, or they can curate what else is happening on the platform. So as an example, we can talk about, today we talk about tariffs, and there are, farmers are freaking out about the the, the tariffs and what kind of impact it's going to have on them. So an editor will reach out, and you can use LinkedIn data to say, find me every person in agriculture in the U.S., who's been active for the last 30 days on LinkedIn, and I'll send him a note. Hey, my name is, you know, uh, Rodrigo Brancatelli. I'm an editor at LinkedIn. These tariffs are going on. We believe you're an expert in this because you're in the agriculture business. Do you have something to say? Come and share it on LinkedIn. And we act as the, you can think about it as almost being, like Mm -hmm. in my old world, I would have two or three editors, two or three writers who reported to me. And I'm like, all right, go cover the story. Yeah, so you would would commission a story. Exactly. You would say, hey. Right. These tariffs are going down. What's our angle? Exactly. And, and now it's it's going to the actual professionals. To that's right. Content. That's the idea. Why and why why do that? Why not just uh, assign it out to a reporter? Because a reporter will go and make fifteen phone calls, or send out a bunch of emails, collect a bunch, quote. And this is what I used to do. You would do. I'd make hundreds of phone calls, and then I would quote one person. Yeah. <laughs> and now we flip it, and we say we're going to go and ask ten thousand people to write. We will get. 200 people who come in and share their opinion and then we move into the curation part where an editor will then and all that goes out to well, the well, I mean, the 200 like how how many of those will be any good well i'm getting defensive now Dan. yeah no no it's a, a not not all of them <laughs> i don't want to be replaced <laughs> not all of them be good but then what the editor does is go that those each one of those reach his reach that person's network but then the editor's job is to curate those and say what what are the best of them what are the best of those? Mm-hmm. Of the 200, maybe only two are actually super high quality. And the editor will then curate those into a package that sits on LinkedIn. And if you are not in agriculture and you just want to understand how farmers are dealing with this, you go to LinkedIn, you go to one of the trending stories, you see a small write-up of what's going on, and then you get to read these quotes from people who are in the business talking about their different perspectives on the tariffs. Okay. So that's one. So it's not a replacement at all. And the other part is that if you're at the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or Digiday or wherever... You can also look at those 200 comments and find five, six great ones that you want to include in your article. So I think about this as like raw material for journalists. So the strategic goal for LinkedIn is to keep people on the platform. The strategic goal is to keep people coming back and feeling like they are getting something valuable. So basically, I mean, LinkedIn was always thought of as the place you go if, if you're looking for a job. Right. right. I yeah. mean, there's a ton of, you know, your recruiter, recruitment business is gigantic. Yep. Um, and, and then it sort of flipped into a feed and now there's a lot more that's going on um, on LinkedIn that's that's not related to looking for a job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look for a job occasionally or, yeah. and may, or maybe you kind of like have a little antenna in the back of your head where you think, well, I'll kind of keep some ideas. Maybe someone will come and ping me and find me at yeah. some point for a job, but you're not always actively looking for a job. But you are always thinking about how do I get ahead or what do I do to make it or should I be, am I missing something that's going on? And so professionals, if mm-hmm. you're in, if you're thinking about your economic opportunity, you come to LinkedIn every, this gives you something to come to every day to either build your own voice or to learn what's happening 
in the world. And then you might get hit up for a job or you might start looking for a job. Mm -hmm. Um, So for LinkedIn, there's real value in having people come back every day and just, we want people to wake up and feel like they've got to start their day with LinkedIn because they need to know what's happening around them. And they might leave LinkedIn and go do something else. This is, Mm -hmm. the key is not to trap them in on LinkedIn. We are- So you're fine with sending traffic Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if it is, I think we think about this a lot as being a, you look at those surveys about where people spend their time and how much, and I, you know, I'm a Twitter addict. I spend way too much time on Twitter. But the question is, do you like, was that a good use of your time? And if you are a site I don't that like is, to think about that too deeply. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if you are, if you think about this, is, LinkedIn is for professional purposes. If you think about your time on LinkedIn, it should feel like an investment. It should feel like, like that was a good use of our time. So if you come to LinkedIn, you find a story that you need to read, you copy it, you go email it, or you talk about it in the meeting, you don't come back to LinkedIn, that's fine also. If you spend all day on there, that's great mm-hmm. as well. But it doesn't have to be, it, it's not about getting people to just spend all of their time on LinkedIn all day long. Are you a competitor to uh, business publications? I think that we are, I think everyone is competing for people's time and attention. Yeah, And we are a competitor as much as, Candy Crush is a competitor because there's always something else you could be doing besides reading headlines. Mm-hmm. But we're not a competitor in that we send massive amounts of traffic to publishers. So Quartz, TechCrunch, Wall Street Journal, um, mm-hmm. Business Insider. If you are Digiday. at all on the Digiday, if you are... We'll have to talk about getting more of that. Absolutely. We got <laughs> no, all kinds of t- tips and tricks. We run a... We have a separate Slack room just for publishers where if you are a business publisher will talk to you all day long and say, hey, this is trending on LinkedIn. You should really come in and talk about the the closure of Toys R Us is blowing up on LinkedIn. And we'll see, like, when, when stores close, the amount of people that come to LinkedIn and say, like, hey, today's my last day. I don't know what I'm going to do next. And other people come out or they, or they they discuss the issue, what's what's happening and where you can go, where the jobs are, where the jobs aren't, and what someone did wrong. And if you are a publisher and you have something to say about it, you put that up in the feed, it'll blow up because mm-hmm. um, it gives some context. You give people context about what's happening. I think at this time, a lot of publishers have a fraught relationship when it comes to platforms. Um, the rug's been pulled out from under them um, just too many times. Yeah, um, I see the reaction to Facebook's uh, new uh, news, show, news for watch is, is different this time because now it's like, oh God, here we go again. What's gonna? What are they gonna do? Like in like a year? There's a lot of cynicism yeah. uh, about these things, um, and I think LinkedIn has, has sort of avoided a lot of that because it's it's always the sort of forgotten platform in some ways because it's the unsexy one. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some value in being a. Well, I, I would say that I think we benefit by having people who come from. We have a lot of journalists at LinkedIn. And we have a lot of people who have been through down this road before. And we don't want to burn newsrooms. We know what it's like to come from a publisher where you are sweating out the dollars every mm-hmm. single day. And what is and, and so and so you can bring that perspective to a new product. So we sit the, the editorial team sits within the product organization. My boss is the head of product, Ryan Roslansky, and I get to be involved in, in product decisions. And so you get to act as the voice of you have someone who's the voice of publishers. Um, in these in these decisions, when someone says, "Hey, we should try this out on publishers," mm-hmm. the answer is always like, "Wait, are we gonna? Are we sure this is something we are going to yeah. invest in and keep it going? Or at least if we're going to bring it to publishers, make sure you say to them, this is an experiment. We don't know if this is going to work or not. Do you want to try this?'" 
and let's see where it goes. And we've done that in the past and you know, not every product hits for right. sure. I think you just have to be very open and honest and say like, we don't know where this is going to yeah. go. We I think, think it's going to be successful. Facebook is getting better at that. I, yeah. I, Campbell Brown um, was, it has been very now vocal about saying, we don't know if this is going to work. We right. don't know if this is going to work because they're experimenting on publishers. And, um, you know, being the subject of medical experiments is, is not a pleasant thing, I'm, I'm told, uh, because it can be kind of dangerous. Uh, so you do, you LinkedIn never went down the road of saying, publish on our platform. Don't right. try to drive people to our site. We have the people here. I don't know. Maybe you did. You never came to Digiday no. and said, hey, forget about digiday.com. Publish your stuff directly on LinkedIn. We'll do some kind of rev share or some crazy thing. Yeah. No, we never did that. The we, we do want people publishing original content on LinkedIn, but not the original articles. So what we say to publishers is, if you have a big story to tell or you've just published something or you have something in the works, you should be using LinkedIn to do your reporting mm-hmm. and you should use LinkedIn to do your marketing. So big story comes out, you should be sharing, your reporters should be sharing that on LinkedIn. This isn't just about having an RSS feed right. and pumping through whatever your latest headlines are. You can do that. But what's really successful is invest in all of your reporters, a few of your reporters, a few of your editors who come in and become voices on LinkedIn. And they talk about the story behind the story, or they ask questions. Really, it's about asking those questions. What do you guys think of this? What did we miss here? Mm-hmm. You know, here, or I'm working on a story. Has anyone experienced something like this? But you have to. It's an investment. You can't just show up once, ask the question, and then assume you're going to get all kinds of greatness. You have to be. You have to connect with people through your ideas, and once you do that, they'll start investing back in you. Right. So, how is this different from Twitter? Um. I think you. That, I mean, you're, yeah. you're a power user of Twitter. Um, Self declared. Yeah, there, there are a couple of big differences. One is because journalists love Twitter. Is absolutely, and you can. And this is Twitter's an amazing place for journalists. LinkedIn is an amazing place for everyone else. And <laughs> you, you realize when you normal go and talk people, to you normal mean? people, when you talk to doctors and lawyers and accountants and engineers and. Um, salespeople, like they are not spending their days on Twitter, but they will check LinkedIn and they get information from it and they use it to they think about what can I do with this? Why am I sharing this? Why am I reading this on LinkedIn? It's coming from their network. They're, they're thinking about, they use content. You know, I've learned a lot from being at LinkedIn about how real people use content. Mm-hmm. One of the thing, one of the ways they use articles and shares and videos is to connect with other people. So I met you at a conference years ago. I want to get back in touch. Instead of just sending you an email saying, hey, it's Dan, we should we should go get coffee. I can send you an article about something we had talked about. Mm-hmm. Hey, Brian, could, uh, I remember we discussed this a few years ago. I don't know if you're still interested. Did you see this cool story? And then, and that's a that's a that's uh, an icebreaker. And suddenly we're talking again. And you see these people, like they're hungry for things to, ways to f- find a connection to someone else. And they use journalists' work to do that. Or they use what's in their feed to do that. So that's one, one way. The other big difference is that it is not a cynical platform. And I learned this early on in our push around original content. So we have somewhere around 100 and, I don't know, 100 and, I can't remember how many, hundreds of thousands of articles that are written each week on LinkedIn, millions of shares. And, but in the early days, we would just have a few, we'd commission, we'd ask people to write stories. Right. A lot. And one time, do you remember Andrew Mason, this former CEO of Groupon? He oh, had yeah. Been, so he had he gotten... He's an eccentric character. Yeah. And he one of the things he did when he left Groupon and got fired, he went to 
California and he recorded an album of songs about business. All right, I remember that. So it was, we, it was pretty good. It was it. So we had asked a <laughs> at the time we really this is we only a few people had access to the publishing platform. We had asked a um, uh, an MTV executive to get his album and to review it <laughs> on LinkedIn. And so this was exactly the kind of thing I would commission when I was a fortune. And this uh, this guy wrote this very scathing and funny review of Andrew's Andrew's record. And the editorial team, which at that point was like three people, we were all laughing and thought it was great, thought it would do really well on LinkedIn. And the comments started coming in. And the comments were so negative about the review. The comments were like, this guy's trying something here. He's trying. He just got fired. He's trying something new. He's putting himself out there. This is a second act. Who are you mm-hmm. to judge him? We should be supportive of this. And it was such an eye-opener to me. I was like, oh, this is our audience. Like they People are here because they believe that there is something that they can gain from this information, that people have a chance to climb the ladder to make it. Today's sponsor is Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. The digital landscape is constantly evolving. And for your content to break through, your publishing strategy needs to be adaptable. That's why when teams at Condé Nast Entertainment, BuzzFeed Studios, and Group 9 Media needed a tool to fine-tune their production process for the modern age, they turned to Airtable. With Airtable, you can build the collaborative, streamlined production process needed to take advantage of every viral trend. Everyone, try it today. Head to Airtable.com slash Digiday to receive $50 in free credits. There's a species of like LinkedIn, like thought leader in quotes. And there's a lot of that sort of thing from a journalist perspective, because we're cynical people. Right. They're like, oh my God, no, another like Winston Churchill quote or like uh, a list of 10 things telling us to be nice and... Those things, you know why there's so many of those? Because writing is hard and those things are easy to write. Or that is what people spend their day actually thinking about. So part of this, part of what, when new, when new journalists come to join the team, we spend about a week or more helping kind of wash off that cynicism <laughs> and be like, look, you can't come in here being super cynical and snarky. That doesn't work on LinkedIn. How long is this process? It, it, takes, it takes a little while and you have to constantly, you have to remind people again and again. So what is the balance between algorithm and editing then? I mean, because platforms have struggled with this. I mean, Facebook finally gave up on the trending thing. That thing was a disaster from the start. It just caused so many problems for them because platforms made in Silicon Valley are, by their nature, by and large, uncomfortable with the idea of human editing, mostly because it actually then confers some kind of um, responsibility on them. Right. There are two things that separate us, two things that separate LinkedIn here. One is the CEO is a big believer in the power of and the role of human editors. So that's a very good place to start. And he understood from the beginning that or wanted from the beginning to have someone who could say, hey, this is something that we need to cover or not cover. Um but it's never been one or the other. It's never been pure algorithms or pure editors. The What editors can do is really great head content, but not long tail content. We can find things that are super popular or talk yeah. about them or introduce you to things you didn't know that you care about. Algorithms are awesome about building that filter bubble or about getting your world smaller and smaller and just focusing on the things that you've shown you cared about in the past. Editors 
perform a role in popping the filter bubble or expanding. Probably a better way to think about it is expanding mm-hmm. the bubble. Here are topics you didn't know you cared about that you should. Now, I think what separates LinkedIn from other platforms is that there is a purpose for LinkedIn. LinkedIn comes with a context that other platforms don't. We are a professional network. Where we are, we serve a purpose in the world. Is that this is about business and about um, opportunity. And so once you have that idea, you can actually start having editors come in and curate mm-hmm. things. And Facebook has to be everything for everybody. Um, every other platform really f- thinks that way. It is a, it is, it is, it covers the world. And LinkedIn's special sauce is that we don't cover the world. There is a certain aspect of things that we do cover. So once you have that, you can actually have editors come in and say, "Hey, look, what are the what are the top topics of the day that every that all professionals probably should know about mm-hmm. today?" This might not be interesting to you, but it's good if you are a designer or an automaker or an insurance adjuster or whatever you are. It's probably good to know that a self-driving car killed someone in Arizona because you might go to a business lunch or a meeting with your boss or you're trying to hire someone or you're trying to get hired. And if they bring up something going on in the world, you need to know about what's happening. Right. Um, or maybe it helps you connect a dot. You're like, oh, maybe I should get into autonomous cars or maybe here's mm-hmm. what's going to happen next. So. so the things that appear in the LinkedIn feed, are they purely algorithmic? Is the reason that they're there or is there an editorial boost? It's, it's both. You can have, it's mostly algorithmic um, because editors are by nature not scalable. You know, we can cover certain things, but we can't cover, we can't reach everyone and nor should we reach everyone. When you build a, when you put together your network and you say, this is the kind of things I want to see in my, in my feed, you're ex- making an explicit action saying, this is the kind of, this is the kind of content I want to get every day. If you get all editorial content, you're getting you can go to the New York Times for that. That is not what you're coming to LinkedIn for. What we can do editorially is boost things. So let's say, for instance, that um, the you know a CEO is wants to write something that is newsworthy and it's topical, and either they're breaking something or they're weighing in on some action. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example: when the CEO of Levi's declared that they were. Um, ending guns in their stores. They were having a, you can't bring guns into Levi's stores. That's not a, it's not something that matters in New York. But in, in, in <laughs> Texas, that's a really big deal. That was a very controversial decision made by the CEO. So he writes an article on LinkedIn saying, this is why I'm doing what, what we're doing. Now, he might not have a big network. He might not reach anyone algorithmically. Right. What an editor can do and say, say, this is newsworthy. Let's give this thing a boost. Let's give it a shot. We can't force it into people's feeds or make them read it, but we can say, this is important. We think that you should take mm-hmm. a look at it. So a lot of what editors do is, is so let push me ask you up. this. Let me yeah. ask you this. Why why would the Levi CEO do that on LinkedIn versus say Medium or yeah. something? Because I almost think that there's there's I don't I don't know if you look at that as like a, a competitive medium. A medium uh, is, is uh, I think Medium is a you there's a lot of different places to blog. I think Medium is a is a much I think of it much more as being a kind of an echo chamber where you're talking to the tech world. The medium is like mm-hmm. an extension of Twitter where you have a, there's a certain people who are talking to each other, I think, on medium. So it's great if you're in tech or you're like a VC and you want to talk to other VCs or you're writing for other VCs. I can see that for Levi's. He wanted to reach all of his employees. He wanted to reach future employees, ex-employees mm-hmm. and customers and suppliers. And that's the thing that you can it spreads on LinkedIn. You're writing on, on Texas and people in Texas. Yeah. yeah. 
you are riding on a on a um, on a platform where you're going to reach people who are in the in this world. So I'll give you another example. The CEO of uh, I don't know if I can talk about this publicly. A CEO, one CEO, told us that he had written a piece about um, it was about I think it was about uh, cancer research. And this guy's not in the cancer field at all. But he had talked about his. It had to do with cancer research. Had to do with his family life and and talked about his daughters. And he got a email later from a regulator that he deals with reg- all the time who said, I read that piece, totally opened my eyes about how you, how you work and who you are. And for him, that was, he never knew he, he was going to reach her, but he reached her through different f- ways on LinkedIn and eventually got to, got to this woman and changed the way that she saw who he was. And he did that on LinkedIn because it could, it was on a network. It was going to reach people that he didn't expect to reach, but it would be in this professional context. Mm-hmm. So, uh, why not like hire reporters for certain things? We do. I do have, we do have some okay. reporters. So you do. Yeah. But the reporter's job is not always to write about, is not to write every single day. The reporters have, like if there's a big yeah. business event, yeah. like, Davos or something, exactly. right? Like, I mean, you'll you'll deploy reporters. Yeah, absolutely. We had two people at Milken, for example. Okay. Davos, I'm not so sure about, but we had two people at Milken who were r- covering Milken, writing about it, but also we talk about the the, the actually the reporters hate the the team hates when I use this term because it's it's we talk about the three C's: you can curate, cultivate, or um, or uh, create content. Okay. And uh, and you can imagine you're, you're wincing now as I say. I'm this. not wincing. Yeah. <laughs> I was and, fighting that instinct. <laughs> and the and every day they have to think about which of those C's they are going to to do. So Caroline uh, Fairchild, who's came from Fortune and runs this runs the reporting team. She was at Milken with Devin Banerjee, who came from Bloomberg, and they're covering. She's covering the tech aspect of Milken. He was covering the the finance aspect of Milken. They were writing about it. They were also grabbing people and. Asking them to write, so we don't mm-hmm. want. No one wants to just hear from us. They want to hear from right. the actual people doing the work. So, so uh, final thing is around video. Yeah, there's more video on LinkedIn. Probably not as much as Facebook's giant pivot to video. Mm-hmm. So, what is the role of video when it comes to the kind of information that LinkedIn is uh, specializing? Yeah, video is doing incredibly well. I think that we think about video as being a another way to transmit information, but it's not a pivot to video. But why? I mean, business information is typically better consumed in text. I mean, this is why we don't do video here. I mean, we we dabbled in a little bit, but like most of our audience is a at work audience. They're they're reading us for professional purposes. Um, They don't want to have to put on headphones and and watch video. So give me the case for video being actually good for the transmission of of business information. I think if you watch some of the most popular videos on LinkedIn, you will be surprised at what people are talking about. It is a lot of, no, it's a lot of people showing what they do. It is, oh, I, um, my job is to pull uh, um, windmills across busy roads. Here is me pulling a windmill across a road or like tugging this thing on my truck. Or here's, I, I, I make pivot tables. Here's like this amazing, here's how I do pivot tables on in Excel. And they'll just kind of This is one of the most shot. popular videos. I don't think the, the pivot one, the, the windmill <laughs> one is one of the most popular ones. Our finance yeah. department is probably like viewing that. Yeah. Like I mean, you got to remember like this is, it's important I think to take yourself out of the newsroom and right. to think about 
what when you are you can people leave LinkedIn on open on their desktop all day and they've got to it's got to be if 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 you have videos playing and your boss walks by like it's got to be a relevant video or else you're not going to be sticking around in your office for too long so people they watch they take courses we own LinkedIn Learning or Linda um, yeah. formerly called Linda so a lot of people watch courses all day where they record their own or they talk about how they do what they do. Um, there's a lot of that that shows up. I'll tell you what does really well for publishers is Cheddar. I mean, Cheddar does these videos um, about how things work. Here's a 3D. Here's a 3D printed home. And so, is that professionally related? It sort of is. It's about innovation. People love watching that. I'm not sure if TED Talks do all that well. Um, well, discussing weird, TED does. Well. So weird product videos are a bit of an obsession of mine yeah. because they do. Insider does a ton of those. Right. Cheddar does a lot of those. Um, they do really well on LinkedIn. I can tell. Yeah. CNBC publishes like 80 videos a day on LinkedIn. It's a lot of just of someone talking in front of the camera saying, here's what's going on. And it's on mute. So there's just words all over the screen. We do interviews. We're publishing. And I did an uh, interview with uh, Kevin Plank, the CEO of Under Armour. And then that video was it's a different way. I, I think there's two. One is this kind of obsession with how people work and what they do and being able to see how people actually work is really interesting. Two is that there is a lot of people just like consuming information over video and it is. I think there's might be a generational aspect. That, is that true though? I because we're, we're I, I, to be true. Yeah. generally I think of video working really well for entertainment for emotive things. Um, that's why advertisers love it because they want to um, they want to create some kind of emotion or feeling. Um, but for information, the most efficient way of transmitting um, you know straight information continues to be text. I will. I have a 13 year old son who will spend as much time as we See, allow him to spend. He's not yet. He's not allowed to. <laughs> um, he oh, will okay. spend as much time as he can. He's got a burner account. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he will. <laughs> well, I would dream of that. That would be amazing. <laughs> if kids out there are yeah, setting up. You know, he's like entrepreneurial. Account. Exactly. <laughs> but he'll, he'll watch those Vox explainer videos all day long. And for him, that is the way he, and there are times when Jack, get off, you know, stop. Why are you, why are you watching videos on your phone? He's like, dad, I'm learning about like the, the, how the the great recession formed. I was like, Oh, you're, Oh, I guess that's okay. But I watch, I'm like you, I watch, I assume that if you're watching videos, you're messing around, but this is a way that he's, that he gets information and he gets, and it's not low quality information. It's high quality information. So truly the final thing you were in publishing, you got out. What do you think of, I mean, there is a lot of change going on right now and, um, there's a lot of uncertainty in the media world. Um, give me the optimistic take from, you know, being one step outside of it now. Yeah. I think the case for optimism is people are still incredibly hungry for information. They come to, and I just see this every day, they come to LinkedIn to read articles or to watch professionally produced videos. They want quality content. I think there is, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a digi- on a Digiday podcast, I think there is a massive opportunity in B2B publishing. Mm-hmm. And I look at what Rafat Ali is doing with Skift. Rafat sees a benefit in just saying that for, for people who are in particular businesses who desperately need information about where the world is going, things are moving so right. fast, that having a publisher cover that is incredibly important. So I think niche, niche publishing is has a very good future. And mm-hmm. there well, can the be business model is more, is more straightforward. Yeah, for, the subscription. Um, yeah, it's, and it's other people's money. That helps. Yeah, absolutely. Digiday Plus, you should also spend. <laughs> it can be expensed. Yeah, exactly. You can expense it. That's a really great point. So that well, is a, there's that makes two, it nice. In, the, in the, the sort of pivot to paid, there, there's really two very distinct markets to me. 
there's the market of OPM, other people's money, and then there's the the consumer uh, bucket. The consumer bucket is is very very competitive. Yes, the New York Times can do it. Yes, the the Post can too. When we're starting to get into you know the Vanity Fairs and stuff, there's going to be a real fight. Um, I just think the basket is bigger when it comes to professional information. Yeah, no, that's this is exactly. I mean, so when I think about what I was part of, um, pre LinkedIn, pre Fortune, I was at Condé Nast and we had launched Portfolio, and I think that oh, was right. like the last great you know magazine launch. But be a good oral history. Oh my God, it would be. It was. It was a very interesting time. But that was that was the end. I mean, you realize that there just wasn't a market. People weren't going to pay for this. There was limited demand for this kind of general content, or at least general content that you would pay for. And even when I was there, I was realized I wasn't reading anything in print. I was reading it all online. I was writing for print, and I was reading everything online. Um, And but those are ancient days at this point. And I think people have our publishers are starting to get it. And so you just got it. And, and I think they're approaching platforms in a much better way now also right. where you won't get whipsawed anymore. And I don't, th- I think that publishers have reached an age where they realize what they need. To, they go into a conversation with platforms saying, here's what we need to get out of right. it. We call it the pivot to realism here. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Dan, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. And thank you all for listening. This podcast is produced by Aditi Sangal. If you liked our show, and I do hope you did, please subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. And while you're there, rate us and leave a review. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another episode.